The following is a paid message by our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by the International Council of Shopping Centers. Retailers in your community have been put at a tremendous competitive disadvantage because of our antiquated sales tax framework that clearly benefits sellers located out of state. We need an environment in which all retailers can grow, create jobs, and continue to drive the American economy. Call your senators today and ask them to give local retailers a fair chance to compete by supporting the Marketplace Fairness Act of 2013. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. Today we have senior writer Stephen Hayes. Steve, a lot of big news out of Washington yesterday regarding Benghazi and a report done by Republican committee members on the story. Yeah, very interesting report, 46 pages in length. Uh, It it basically uh, recaps and expands on many of the things that Republicans had already been accusing the Obama administration of with respect to Benghazi. There are uh, now new details uh, about Hillary Clinton's having signed off on security requests that she was denying uh, back in the spring, uh, despite the fact that she said in in testimony that she hadn't been a part of that decision-making process. Um, There are new revelations about the talking points uh, that were distributed in the past throughout the intelligence community and the administration before Susan Rice testified. Uh, I'm sorry, before she appeared on the Sunday shows. So there's, there's, it's a recap of some of the old things with, I would say, a little bit more substance and some new detail. It's disturbing to see the layers that those talking points went through that were so blatantly political, starting with the CIA making the obvious, yeah, Al-Qaeda's in the area, they're certainly active, down to Al-Who, we don't know what you're talking about. Right, exactly. I mean, look, uh, you know, some of this was known. Remember, we, we knew before this report came out that on September 12th, the CIA station chief in Tripoli had sent back to Washington a detailed report on what, what had transpired the previous night. And in that report, he apparently, uh, which is still classified, he apparently got into some detail about who the likely participants were, uh, what they were doing, how it started. And it, that report, one day after the attacks, I mean, less than 24 hours after the attacks, basically uh, debunked anything and everything the administration claimed about the, the film and about a spontaneous attack and all of this, but the administration had decided just to ignore that. Uh, so I think what we saw in, in this latest report is further evidence that the administration knew quite well before uh, it was making a case it was a film or that it was a spontaneous attack that, in fact, it wasn't a film. And the talking points, as you suggest, uh, the editing process that you see in this report, uh, I think, demonstrates that. Uh, there's, we don't have the sources of all the information about what was in emails, etc. Uh, are there more shoes to drop even after this report, Steve Hayes? Well, I think so. You, you had a letter that went today uh, from Mike Rogers and others running the committees on the Republican side in the House saying, asking for the administration for permission to make public some more information on this, the actual uh, request that Hillary Clinton signed, some, of the, some more details on the emails. And I think if those come out, they should be of interest. You know, the real question, as it has been on Benghazi from the very beginning, is will the mainstream media pay it any attention? We've gotten to the point in this story that despite the fact that there, there remain many unanswered questions, you, you raise Benghazi to someone in the mainstream media, and I know some of my friends and colleagues in the mainstream media, 
and it elicits an eye roll. You know, it's like, oh, really? You're going back to that? It's like they want to be done with it and sort of moved on. But there are still these very important questions, you know, the questions about survivors and, and whether they're going to be allowed to talk. Some of them, I understand, want to. You have questions about the talking points that remain. You have further questions about the, the denial of, of uh, security services. So there are still questions. How about the basic question, when did the president find out that this was happening, and then what did he do? It's astonishing, Steve, that at this point in the process, we still can't answer one of the most basic questions of all. And what was the timeline of his activities that entire night? Look, I mean, this is the kind of thing that, that one would think the media would, would be interested in finding out. I mean, mm -hmm. if for nothing else than to help put this, this whole issue to rest, if, if that's your perspective, if that's their perspective. But yeah, I mean, these are outstanding questions. I think they deserve answers. Uh, here in uh, Boston, we're finding out more and more about the uh, process that the two bombers went through, looking for international connections, et cetera. We, the front page story in the Boston Herald today is that these guys were on welfare leading up to this, which is, if you know the story out of London and London Estan and all the establishment there, it's not, that's not that new of a story. But I right. thought it was fascinating, Steve, that Sunday, even after the Chechen uh, 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 guys had been caught, the governor of Massachusetts said he had no idea what would motivate these two fellows. He had to be the only person on the East Coast who had no idea. You know, I don't know. You're still, you're still seeing and hearing some of this. There was a Time Magazine piece, uh, I think it was up today, maybe been yesterday, uh, suggesting that really the, the problem might have been Tamerlan Cernayev's boxing career and the blows to his head that he took. I mean, you know, this, this is, uh, you have, I think, many members of the mainstream media, not all, uh, but, but many members of the mainstream media and others uh, on the left, the defenders of the president, looking for things, that, anything that could explain this other than uh, what it plainly is. And I think it's really unfortunate that at this day and age we can't address the problem as the problem. I mean, that's what it is. Radical Islam has been a problem for a long time. It's going to be a problem, and the sooner we can get everybody on the same page on that, the, the sooner we're likely to make progress in defeating it. Speaking of progress, where are we on this uh, story? Well, it's interesting. I actually just got off the phone uh, with Saxby Chambliss, who's the vice chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, and had a long conversation with him about where the investigations are and, and what's... Uh, what he's learning as he probes into this. And one of the things that he mentioned to me that I found interesting because it sort of cuts uh, against the grain of most of the reporting today is he thinks that, that it's more than likely that uh, when Tamerlan Zernayef was back in Dagestan for six months that he was uh, involved in some kind of activity over there that further radicalized him, whether it were meetings, uh, whether it was training camp, whether it was bomb training. We don't know the details of that, but when I asked Chambliss about that, he said, look, he wasn't sitting over there eating and sleeping all day like his daddy said. And mm -hmm. Chambliss told me, uh, yeah, if you believe that, I've got oceanfront property in Nebraska to sell you. <laughs> so it seems clear both from talking to him and, and from my conversations with others that, that the FBI has taken a very serious look at the, the, the possibility, maybe even the likelihood that he had meetings over there that he was uh, in contact with some of these al-Qaeda affiliates or other jihadist groups in the region. And the FBI is conducting interviews now as we speak of his family, friends, relatives, and others in Dagestan to find out exactly what he was up to.
Uh, one last question. Will it in the end matter that he is not an enemy combatant but is instead a federal cr uh, accused criminal? Uh, we don't know the answer to that question. I think one of the arguments for declaring him an enemy combatant would have been that we would have uh, kept open the possibility of interviewing him later without a lawyer present. Uh, you know, if we learned it, through these interviews that the FBI is conducting now in Dagestan, uh, more about what Cameron Zarnayev was up to in a six-month trip over there, wouldn't it be nice to be able to ask uh, Johar Zarnayev what he knows about it, and perhaps he could fill in some, some knowledge gaps that, that our intelligence community has. I certainly would have liked to reserve that option. Uh, nobody, you know, one of the things you're hearing from people who oppose that option was that now, he should have always been tried in, in civilian courts, and this is the way we do this, and terrorism prosecutions have tremendous success. I don't know anybody who is making an argument that he shouldn't have been tried in civilian courts. Lindsey Graham, who's been sort of a chief proponent of the enemy combatant designation in this context, he says, you know, we're not talking about trying him in military committee. We're talking about reserving the right to interview him later without a lawyer present so that he will have to tell us or we can compel him to tell us the things that, that we need to know to, to further solve the, the many un, unanswered questions that we still have about this. Steve Hayes, thanks so much for joining us for the Weekly Standard podcast. Be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.